Welcome back, pop culture theologians. Uh, it's a new week. It's a new year. It's a new presidency. We're here with you. I'm so glad you found your way back to us. Um, and specifically, we've got another great special guest here with us, honorary pop culture theologian, Anjanette. Hey, AJ. Hello. How's it going? It's a new dawn in this country of ours, isn't it? It's a new dawn. It's a new day. Oh, yes, it is. It is. Um, welcome back, pop culture theologians. For those of you that may just be wandering onto the pod for the first time, we are uh, academics who worship at the altar of pop culture, but specifically break down your favorite shows, movies, books, television, through themes that we've been studying our whole lives. But, you know, it all comes back to pop culture and some of the things that we just love the most, and we wanted to talk to you about them. So um, it's me, John, um, and AJ here. But before we get started with our usual what the of the week and going into The Crown, uh, season four, episode eight, I want to make sure you can stalk us on the interwebs. So, and Jeanette, where can we find you? You can find me on TikTok at PhD Ange. You can find me on Instagram at Barcelona Ange, Ange. Um, you can also find me on feminismandreligion.com. I do a, a post every month. I'm not on Twitter. I, I, I need to put some boundaries on social media, um, but I troll other people's Twitter accounts. And so, John, where's, where, where can we find you? That's very true. You know, I'm on all the social medias, unfortunately, um, for many reasons, but you can find me at jerickson85 on all of the social media. Um, and also you can make sure you're following the show at Pop Theologians on Twitter and uh, Facebook. And then major shout outs to our host site, The Engaged Gaze, as well as um, all of the contributors that um, go there, especially our sister podcast, The Bible Bitches. Looking forward to them coming back. But, you know, uh, I'm thinking about taking a, a social media break for a weekend, but I still, I just can't get myself off of the interwebs because the world is still crumbling. <laughs> It, it moves and shakes at an alarming rate. It does. It does. And speaking of alarming things, AJ, what the f happened this week? Oh, boy. Well, we, you know, let's start off with some really good gossip stuff. Um, and if you're adverse, you know, if you're just kind of tapped into the Facebooks, the, tip, the, the TikToks, you will know when I say, Jason, are, are you safe? From Jason Collier. No. You're not. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So if you don't know what happened is that on Facebook, a young lady posted an engagement photo and from that created a drama storm, including now three days into this scandal drama, we have 10 women that have come out of the woodwork stating they've either been married to this man they're engaged to this man. They dated this man. They were in the process of dating him. We find out that this, this man is a sheriff uh, in a small town in Texas. He's an ordained minister. He was part of an organization called My Brother's Keeper, which sounds terrifying, but it was I don't a... I where to begin. <laughs> right? Um but it's all taken place through Facebook and TikTok because so many of us have time on our hands and we are able to sleuth and nothing is safe on the interwebs. 
And he's now since been placed on administrative leave since last night because of what's been happening. He has apparently, he was sending women false annulment papers saying, hey, look, I was married, but we're annulled. And they're a bunch of lies. Um, it's been a wild ride. And he's been coined as the Cougar King, not in the light of Tiger King 2020, but he is the Cougar King of 2021. So that's the the good juicy things that happened this week. Are, are you safe, Anjanette? We just need to make sure the listeners know. Oh, I'm definitely safe because if someone said, hey, let's get engaged and I'll get you a coffee maker, I'm going to say no. Yeah, I don't... Um... I just don't know some the things that people are like victimized to. I mean, it's really shameful that people will literally do anything on the internet these days, apparently. Right. Or that like, it's, it's so sad because it's, it shows how um, dangerous almost dating is in a 2021 world where you can, someone can have multiple dating apps at the, you know, on their phone and be hooking up with multiple women in multiple areas. You know how I make sure that I am like, not like accepting crazy friend requests. How? So I, I think you know this about me. I love wishing people a happy birthday. Um, I love wishing people a happy birthday on your Facebook. It's your day. I'm really prone to birthdays. You get a day and I really love wishing people happy birthdays. And so every time Facebook is like, oh, it's like these people's birthdays. I'm like, okay, let me go see whose birthday it is. And then I'm like, wait, I know like four of these people. And so then I friend them on their birthday. I mean, that's a good way to keep the, the I'm list. Like, um, I do not know this person from India, so I'm definitely mm-hmm. unfriendly. Yeah. I will say though, during the targeted Russian hacking scam of like the 2016 election, remember when you could like go online and like see if you're like, your account got hacked or something by Cambridge Analytica. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mine was not. And I was really offended. Were you? I'm so Mine sorry. Was, no, it was not. I know. I'm, I'm so sorry that you felt offended. I mean, it's like, what, was I, am I not special enough to have my data hacked or did they just already know I was a pro Hillary stand? So they were like, no, see, that's, yeah, that's where I was is because like, I'm already on a no fly zone because I support the Dalai Lama. And so I can't get into China and because China, because Russia honors their allies, um, no fly zones, I'd already been on a no, I'd already been on lists for, for Russia for a couple of years because of my activism. So I, I didn't even check because I already we all know. know why I was you're on those lists. We all know why you're on those yeah. lists, AJ. It's not because of the Dalai Lama. Oh no! It's because of my um, bring Sensate back. Yeah, no, it's campaign for Netflix. Because you're a, you're a CIA agent for anyone. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, agents of change, um, uh, it's one week since inauguration. My goodness! Day. It's a week and a day, and look how far we've already come. Uh, I just love waking up to like not seeing like veiled threats of insanity. It's almost like I'm, I'm fluctuating between an immense high and an immense hangover 
because it's yeah. so, you know, it's so lovely to wake up and be like, oh my gosh, like we're actually getting things done. Our government is actually doing things. I'm watching press releases and they actually make sense. And he's doing all these things to bring back inclusivity and, and resources. But it's also a hangover because I've spent four years in immense dread and trauma. Well, we are all essentially, we're all essentially living through, uh, you know, a battered partner syndrome in a way like yeah. where, you know, that was the point. I mean, the, 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 the hatred is the point, right? What's that saying? Like, you know, the pain is the point because they want people to be so deadened mm-hmm. um, to these aspects. But yeah, we have um, a new president. Thank God. Listeners of the podcast will know that this is Definitely not a conservative podcast. Nope. Um, but, you know, hey, if you love the crown, we're here for you. So, you know, but we just kind of get these out early. Um, but, you know, we still do have some crazy to deal with. And they usually start with the words Ted Cruz, mostly. But now he's got a good friend in the house, uh, Majory Teller Green, who's a, who's a psychopath. I mean, so if none of you know who Majory Taylor Green is, she's a House of Representative for the 14th District of georgia she's an anti-masker full-on pro-trump she's a huge QAnon um supporter she's also been um they just released a couple of days ago past tweets that she denied and made fun of school shootings like that of sandy hook um, and others She's also had tweets that have been very violent uh, against other Democrats and Nancy Pelosi calling for supporters to assassinate her her and and whatnot. And she was just appointed by the Republican Party to become part of the House Education and Labor Committee. And Nancy Pelosi did a press um, yet today, I think it was, stating that she highly questions this appointment and she highly questions Majory Taylor Greene and calling for a review of Majory Taylor Greene. She was also one during the insurrection on January 6th. She was one of those that was not wearing a mask and um, infected other members of Congress with COVID-19. Did she give tours as well to like the Yeah, so it, there's a lot of speculation that she might have been actively involved. She's one, she's the one that tweeted during the insurrection certain the 1776. She tweeted locations during the insurrection. So she's um trash. She's a seditious trash. She's seditious trash. Yeah. 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 And her and Ted Cruz are Ted Cruz, you suck. If this podcast ever gets into your ears, I just want you to know you suck. And one of the best moments of my life was heckling you at the Reagan airport in DC when you, okay, for the listeners, I'm going to tell them the story. So um, essentially Ted Cruz is trash and he was going home, something like that. um, And I was coming in for a board meeting in DC and he was on a very early flight and he he didn't even have TSA pre-check, first of all. Usually these people would like probably want it, 
I always thought Ted Cruz flew private because, you know, of his corporate cronies, you know, his wife worked. It's all smokescreen. It's all a smokescreen, right? So he was going through security and no one was really recognizing him because it's when he had that crazy pedophile beard that he still has now. And, you know, and so when you look at him, he just looks terrifying. Um, but either way, he no one was noticing him. And I did because I'm very observant. Um, and Because you're a Virgo. Because I'm a Virgo. Um, and you always got to be ready to react. And, and so I saw him and I was like, holy shit, like, why are people not like harassing? And this was like during a budget shutdown, the government was shutting down, it was all these things. And of course he's going home for the, you know, whatever he was doing. And I start going, the goddess took over. I will blame the goddess. That's right. The spirit, you know, we're religion PhDs. The spirit took over. You had a divine moment. I had a divine moment. So for any members of Congress or anyone listening that would think that this would be a libelous lawsuit, I was invoked by the spirit. Um, And I started going, shame on you, Ted Cruz, screaming at the top of my lungs. Shame on you, Ted Cruz. You channeled Handmaid's Tale. I channeled it. And And then everyone realized Ted Cruz was there. And then he got flung by people. Like everyone was like talking to him and then trying to like, harass them and all of these things and i i will always take such great joy in the horrible evil look he gave me as i was leaving to go to dunkin donuts right outside of reagan which is gotta get your donkeys well i needed coffee because it was a red eye flight that's right um and that look of pure disgust he had towards me was one i will remember to my grave it just brings me so much joy to know i ruined his his morning that way. Um, I have it's another beautiful. story about Senator Ron Johnson. We'll save that for another time as yeah. well. But, um, like, but, so Ted Cruz is in the news. Yeah, this he's week. trash. He is trash. But I also think that like he's a really um, smart fearmonger. Well, so um, you know, Ted Cruz is ridiculously, as much as we hate to say this, you know, he is he is very intelligent. And I mean, one, he has a Harvard degree. We don't know, you know. I, I haven't seen his transcripts, so I don't really know what this Harvard degree implies, but I do see through a lot of his treat, tweets as a fear monger. So he posts things to incite those that are less educated to get them hot and bothered. So he tweeted earlier about the Paris um, deals that um, President Biden, I'm just gonna love saying that, um, signed a new executive order bringing us back into the Paris Accords, which if you know what those are, those are all are about environment and, and the world and the <laughs> global consensus. I forgot about this already. Yeah. And Ted Cruz tweeted that we shouldn't get part of the Paris Accords and the Paris deal because it's about people in Paris and we should be concerned about people in America. Yeah. You're a crackerjack smart. Ted but- it's, you know, a lot of people are like, oh my God, I can't believe that, you know, you have a Harvard degree and you don't know what the Paris deal is. He knows. And I look through it and I see, no, it's a fear mongering of people because he knows that people, the general population might not necessarily know that. And it gets them all hot and bothered. It gets Fox News and it gets all the hardcore Republican conservative radio heads talking and all those that listen including a lot of members of my family, you know, listen and they get all hot and bothered and they think that President Biden and and all Democrats are going to bring about a Russian socialist commune. Yeah, no, he knows. I mean, 
one thing I'll never forget is, and I won't out them right now, but and Jeanette will know who I'm talking about, the chair of my dissertation committee once told me that, um, uh, you know, one of his professors, I don't remember how it came up to this, um, knew Ted Cruz or one of his advisors when he was getting his dissertation, went to school with Ted Cruz or something like that. And the professor said, Ted Cruz is the most dangerous man because he actually is the, one of the smartest men um, that this guy had ever met. And this um, coming from the person to the chair of my dissertation, who was also a, one of the most intelligent men I've ever met, um, was terrifying to him because this guy was more smart than my dissertation chair. And so if those really, really smart people are saying that he's most terrified because he is smart and effective, um, that's, that's awful. Um, he definitely has the, the, the characteristics of a high intelligent sociopath. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, speaking of high and intelligent sociopaths, <laughs> I think um, we should get into the conversation of The Crown, um, episode eight, because we've I mean, got a lot yes. to discuss um, and we're seeing some things to unravel. So let's start, AJ. Okay, so it's episode eight. We've only got two left to go and things are really starting to what is the right word? Unwind for the Commonwealth. Unravel. First, unravel. See, that's why you did better in the GREs for than me, probably. <laughs> um, but things are unraveling. We saw this theme really um, brought up in one of my favorite episodes uh, of the first season during the world tour about why these things are so important, why the Commonwealth and why the monarchy has to go and see their their colonies, their lands, and all of these things that they own and have shape and, and have control over because if more break off, they lose power, they lose relevance. And we're seeing that. That's kind of a big theme of not only the show always in the background, um, but we're seeing this come up with some modern day issues um, that not only ping back to the struggle and constant push that we all need to do for racial justice, um, but with the, with the conversation around um, apartheid and sanctions in South Africa, um, and Jeanette, you know, where are we at historically right now in this episode? Who are our main players? So this episode, we're at the, the tail end of the 80s. Um, and it's around, um, it starts early in like the 1985, but towards the end, we're like pushing it 1988. Um, and, but the, the episode starts with a flashback. So we get to see Claire Foy, but it's the uh, flashback. We've missed her we've missed her because it's um, her speech in South Africa. And this is matters because of the Commonwealth. South Africa was part of the Commonwealth of the United Kingdom. Um, they left in 1960, but um, they're struggling because of this beast called the apartheid. If you don't know what um, readers, if you don't, or listeners, what, if you don't know what the apartheid was in South Africa, it was a horrible time between 1948 to the 19, uh, 1990s in South Africa. Think Jim Crow on steroids. It was um, created segregated um, ghettos. And one of them actually is now a country that they liberated themselves called Los Sueto in South Africa. But it, it was a really hard, harsh time for anyone that was not white in South Africa. Um, and 
the rest of the known world in the 80s is trying to push against the apartheid and say this is a, a human rights violation and a lot of the commonwealth leaders come to margaret thatcher and want margaret thatcher to create sanctions these economic sanctions against south africa and those that are following the apartheid and margaret thatcher doesn't want to and the queen does the queen she's all about protecting the commonwealth she sees this as her legacy and um, protecting the commonwealth and, and the legacy of the united kingdom and so we there's a lot of it echoes the unrest that's happening in South Africa is the unrest that's happening between Margaret Thatcher and the Queen in this episode, as well as Margaret Thatcher and the political parties in England. She's losing ground um, in this episode. She's yeah. seeing her power really, you know, be unraveled. I mean, this is near the height of, um, you know, Margaret Thatcher's influence, as you can see with the ways in which people are kowtowing around her um, with her power, um, you know, not only as prime minister, but with all that she does. Um, and you're really seeing, you know, the, constitu the constitutionality of the monarchy really play out here in a way that has been pushed for quite some time. We talked about it and it's a theme in many of the episodes, but it's a theme that um, Dickie, as you we all remember from the previous season. Lord Mountbatten. Lord Mountbatten, um, when he tried to overthrow the government and the former prime minister uh, discovered that and they kind of kept that quiet. But the ways in which um, the monarchy is that stable force, it doesn't get involved in politics. It doesn't express an opinion. Um, one of the lines that you always hear over and over again, um, to act is uh, to not act is ultimately to act and that being in the background is ultimately where the queen finds herself but she just can't help herself in this one aj she's kind of like no well, you know what i'm she gonna loves, yeah and it's it's this um it all rests because of her love and devotion to the commonwealth and so the the show starts with um you know claire foy talking or the queen the early young queen expressing how her motto is i serve and she sees this as um she ties this to the commonwealth which she deems the great imperial family so for the queen she has the crown she had which is her family and the the monarchy as well as this imperial family which is the commonwealth and she has to protect it and even though what the sad reality is, is her reign, the Commonwealth continues to diminish because a lot of countries break off for independence. And so at the height of the, yeah, I mean, at the height of, the, when the Commonwealth was created, there was something like 57 countries, part of the Commonwealth. And now there's only, I think 30, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and there's at, at least four more that are in process of breaking away from the Commonwealth and becoming um, independent. And then there are some that are in, independent nations that have chosen to stay in the Commonwealth, but as an independent nation. So I'm thinking that of like Australia, New Zealand, Canada, um, South Africa is, is in the Commonwealth, but it's not considered a... Um, controlling um, country under the United Kingdom. And so 
this episode is really it, it's called 48 to 1 because margaret thatcher is the one and the 48 are the 48 um, commonwealth countries pushing against her and she was very um adamant to, that they have to come to her and i think this is I kind of really enjoy this episode because um, we don't get enough of uh, Margaret Thatcher and obviously her depiction. I, I live for her curtsy and all that she does, <laughs> but the relationship between the queen and Margaret Thatcher is one that I find very fascinating. One that really they've explored about how they, I think both define leadership, service, um, feminism, if you want to use yeah. a word, duty is probably the most important. Um, and whereas you see this continual push of um, conservative voices to be that 48 to one, oftentimes the one is the most powerful to get to change and to get even a fraction of what they actually were trying to get to is they had to go back word for word. I mean, how she just- Can, you, can I just tell pen. you, I had such PhD, uh, PhD, PTSD watching that because it, I felt, I was like, that was like my dissertation. <laughs> I was like, oh God, <laughs> like going to your advisor and be like, here's a new one. And they'd be like, nope, nope. Yep, and she was like, it. not this word. And you can't have this word because she didn't like sanction and, and they were trying for the life of them to figure out a word that she would approve. I, I felt so much like that was my. I mean, this also, this episode is dealing with the, you know, starting to see the decline of, you know, I think colonialism and the power that the great, you know, the British empire had and, you know, ultimately how these colonial roots are deeply indebted and tied to racist actions in Africa. Um, and, you know, when you talk about Australia, these other quote unquote other countries that, you know, were colonized and, you know, are now fighting their way out and back. And for one country, a privileged white, you know, upper class country to stop the severe injustice of apartheid um, and, and, you know, slavery and racism and all of the things in general just shows you the problem with the type of uh, institutionalized power that we see really being discussed you know as a, as a as an institution but mostly going back to Claire Foy's narrative at the beginning which is why it starts out that way we're really treated because we all miss Claire Foy it's been many seasons now um mm -hmm. And it was really spo spoiled for all of us that she makes an appearance. We didn't know. Um, that is a historical speech um, that yes, she does give. It is, you can still listen to it. Um, it is uh, about her duty and her service and that she will commit her whole life, um, be it long or short. Um, I believe that's a direct quote to the service of her people. And ultimately that's where the queen comes back to. It's that that is all she has, you know, it is her people, it is her legacy. Um, and that while there is a decline, not necessarily she's willing to have her be a part of that decline, whereas she wants to remain the steadfast pusher for good. Um, and we start to see how the media gets involved in this. Yeah, and I, I found it really interesting that they, the, the last couple of episodes, the writers of the series have really done a good job of doing juxtaposition of, of two different sides. And, and the queen is, is presented in this episode very much as she's fighting for the good of the people, um, for their cultures, for their, their ways of life, for their, almost their sense of their own rule. Whereas Margaret Thatcher is, is deemed and presented in this episode very much uh, what I think as the closeted colonial racist, 
Um, there's many, many um, words and sentences that she says in this episode that are so cringeworthy where she talks about how she doesn't like the Commonwealth because she feels like they're inferior because they're tribal leaders that they have all, and then she, she tries to make it better by saying, well, it's because they have human rights violations and they're, they're against women and they do this, this, but it's, it's cloaked in racism and colonialization is that they, she doesn't dream that they're worthy of the position at the table that she's at. And um, which is why she doesn't feel like she needs to devote time to the Commonwealth or to the sanctioning of South Africa. But towards the end, she has a meeting with the queen because the queen's all like, we need a sanction. And it comes out that the reason she doesn't want to sanction South Africa is because her favorite son has a business in South in Africa. South Africa. Capitalism. Oh, dun, dun, dun. I mean, that's exactly it. And, and if you've seen, and if you remember um, the movie, uh, uh, the iron lady, um, Mark, as she calls him, yes. uh, her son's name um, lives in South Africa. Mm-hmm. I'm in that movie because he lives in South Africa. It's like all of these things are connected. Like she's not doing this based off of principle. Like, I mean, well, maybe she is. And we just can't obviously see eye to eye on what those principles are. She's doing this out of corporate capital profits that keep her That's son's right. business going. That's right. I mean, it's like 48 to one. I mean, that's where it's like you see people that sacrifice the many for the few. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why voices that, well, that's why populism often does rise in these ways. Cause we see the ways in which these, you know, totalitarian, um, like dictators and mm-hmm. authoritarian dictators like Trump, you know, preach to, you know, this crowd, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world and all these other crazy people, um, you know, I'm sorry, that's ableist, all these other people who are unwell, um, you know, and right. really, you know, try to say you're, you can't afford food. So therefore, you know, I know what you're going through, even though I have a, an emblazoned gold toilet, you know, all of these crazy things. It's like, the New York Times criticizing Joe Biden for wearing, oh, by the way, spoiler alert, his dead son's fucking Rolex. Right. So shame on you, New York Times. Um, subscribe to your local newspaper listeners. That's where we all do. And I mean, says the same people that allotted Melania Trump's, you know, thousand dollar wardrobe. And we all know she had some questionable, that jacket that she wore to the border. Mm-hmm. Yet, heaven forbid, Joe Biden wears a a good watch to the inauguration. It's his son's watch, even. And it's his son, and it's his dead son's watch. Like, But, you know, the thing that this episode really did harken back for me is that when Claire Foy and, um, and... and Philip go on their honeymoon, or their, not the honeymoon, but the tour, essentially. The Commonwealth no, tour. Yeah. Well, actually, it was their honeymoon. That's right, because yeah. when they were in Africa, um, remember when um, she was giving her speech and she was talking about the Commonwealth, mm-hmm. but then ultimately, you know, when they're greeting all of the tribal leaders and everything, uh, Prince Philip started making comical jokes about the... Mm-hmm the crown that that one tribal leader was uh, mm-hmm. wearing and she knew it. Right. But she knew what it was, but then he 
she had to remind him that's a crown like your right. idea of authority of dignity you they you do not know that right your right. ideology is based on this obviously different idea um and how we continue to see you know in this theme uh, the tribal leaders you know the the dress uh the the color the ways in which these things are still accentuated um and people like margaret thatcher and others who don't ascribe to these types of um ideas about how authority should reflect itself always find themselves on the outside so one thing that you know i think is really interesting regarding the trip to south africa is how it harkens back to you know the ways in which you know the queen and philip go to Africa on their honeymoon, um, but more importantly, you see the types of classism and sheer disrespect that Philip had for the tribal leaders, and you see how it's mimicked even within uh, Margaret Thatcher's depiction of, I think, how she defines leadership, but then ultimately it, it goes back to the ways in which how I think Margaret Thatcher sees the queen. Yeah. I there's that really interesting, I think it's probably one of my favorite parts of the episode is when Margaret Thatcher and the Queen meet and the showdown, um, the showdown and Margaret Thatcher's all like, I'm not going to appease and I'm not going to do it because I don't believe in the Commonwealth because they're just a bunch of tribal leaders in eccentric costume. And the Queen responds in the best slapback on the the season is saying like isn't that what i am a tribal leader in eccentric costume isn't this what i do for this country um and it it really plays into how much power margaret thatcher thinks she has as the prime minister or that she has this control over the government which we start to ultimately see it start to crumble this episode and and foreshadow the end of the season and foreshadowing the crumbling of the the commonwealth of where we are currently and you know for current royal fans of the show of the actual royal family they know that prince harry was given the commonwealth as kind of like one of his things to do when he married megan and her wedding dress had all of the commonwealth flowers sewn into her dress and it was one of, and their first trip after they got married was to south africa while it was a great photo op it, it actually showed the cracks of what was very very harmful for megan and harry and led to them we're a year into megxit so well, like i mean i feel like megan you know is pretty much tokenized i mean they're like oh look you know <laughs> we have a, our first you know she's our first biracial black. royal you know we have a biracial royal let's send her to south africa like it's so tokenizing and it's awful you know in that way and so when you think about it you know i i too would exit stage left yeah. megan you know <laughs> but i mean but yeah this this episode was um the other thing that we didn't talk about was the Michael Shea, the press secretary, gets Ugh. thrown under the bus when, yes, you know, the queen... Right, is that's like a B plot line. Yeah, the queen demands for her press secretary to publish or to send out a memo to the 
press that she believes in the South African sanctions and Margaret Thatcher doesn't and it creates this huge scandal. And then ultimately the Queen remembers why the position of the Crown is to stay apart from the um, politics and basically shove him out. But he becomes a prolific political theory, um, thriller novelist. Like he has like 30. He writes spy books and everything yeah. like that. It's incredible. But that and was the B um, part plot line. But it was ultimately, it, you know, the media really does play it up because when you think about the tabloids and, you know, here in America, yeah. although we have the press and paparazzi, they are nothing like what we experience, what people experience in Europe. I mean, this is, you know, setting up the stage for what Diana obviously experiences throughout the season, but the ways in which they'll sell or say anything to do a headline and and you ultimately just understand it and really push a narrative where, you know, it's the queen versus, you know, the prime minister and what Mm -hmm. this is. But the really funny thing is, is that Margaret Thatcher is by default and how she was raised a monarchist. And so, you know, it's interesting how she critiques other leaders right or like you know people who are other monarchies she critiques other monarchies she critiques other monarchies but that's from her white classist ideal of what how she views what a monarchy is and and to her the queen wears a she's the proper version right you know the queen wears this crown and all the things that she defines as you know royal right unlike what she actually deals with in this episode I stand by my statement that Margaret Thatcher, especially in this episode, is the colonial racist. Well, first um, of all, that's just a given. That's that's like the point right? subplot B. I mean, you know, Gillian Anderson plays her. I'm I'm in love with the performance personally. Um, but that, the, that that red pen and nope, 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 nope. And I just love how she's just so exasperated. Where she's like, no, what is this word? Um, but it was just so crazy. But, you know, the one thing that we, you know, get right at the end of this show is we obviously get harkened back to how we all hate Prince Charles. I mean, that's just a normal. Um, but, Anjanette, walk us through why we hate him even more now. So this episode, the two, the way that this episode ends is twofold. They show that the the crown, the royal family is moving on with the marriage of Andrew to Sarah Ferguson or how the media called her Fergie. Not and that Fergie. Gets, not the um, Black Eyed Peas Fergie. Where she, that's where she got her name, Fergie, is from Sarah Ferguson, from the royals. Um, and he's about to get married and the press isn't following their wedding the way that Andrew wants in the way that he thinks that it's supposed to because he's the prince of the crown because of what's happening in South Africa. And Charles comes in and is like, why are you pouting? It's your wedding day. And Andrew's all like, well, because no one's paying attention to me. And Charles is like, "They? why should they? They're not, why, not um, why would they pay attention to you? Um, I mean, that's ultimately because of the scandal going down between, um, you know, the boss. The queen, yeah, him, the queen and the prime minister and, and what's and happening in South Africa. And it just and shows then, that Andrew's just such a yes. He's a mama's boy that is with delusions of grandeur that thinks that because he's a prince of the crown, he gets all these things. And Charles kind of slaps him back, which was hilarious. But then the rest of the siblings will never be like, king. So what do you care? Like no right, and they look him. at him like, whoa. 
Because I think Charles, you know, although he's always kind of been separated from his siblings for obvious reasons, like, you know, he, I don't know, like with, you know, Anne, he always has had a great relationship. The other two are so much younger than he is, obviously. So, you know, there's that whole disconnect because he's pretty much an adult at this point and how he was, you know, raised completely outside of, you know, being that brother because he was always away at school and they're away at school. But, you know, (laughs) you just see Charles is like in it like you know he probably just got the phone with Camilla you know Diana's probably being Diana and like him and him and her are fighting and And it shows like the 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 perfect example of the dynamics of siblings like the oldest sibling to the youngest sibling and the two in between usually you have a, a really good middle child that likes the balance and then you have another middle child that just wants the spotlight and that's Andrew full and full and 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 ultimately he does get the spotlight he becomes quite the celebrity but he's a celebrity because he's a child sex ring leader um but But we'll end it on a a better note because the episode ends with showing that apartheid does um get abolished in south africa that nelson mandela gets released from prison and becomes the president and this becomes really important um i think for the next season and for those that also know the royal family is that Diana met Nelson Mandela three months before she passed yeah. and had a, a lasting impression on Nelson Mandela to where they he had relationships with um, her sons and was given one of the first um, admissions to her resting place and he planted a tree in her honor. And so it it's kind of showing where we're going with what the crown is about to do and the role that Diana plays is is very much the humanitarian princess um, she is and that's also as opposed part. to the selfish cow of Charles and Camilla yeah, exactly and and that's ultimately one of the points that you know when we think about the leaders that emerged out of apartheid I mean Nelson Mandela was in jail um you know 20 plus years for 20 plus years and he becomes you know this figurehead and world leader um in so many ways that we're all we don't know the impacts that he's probably had on our lives personally um or the world's live and narrative but you know he just becomes this this powerful force for good and it just kind of sets up this way in which him and Diana Diana in general being this good maker you know this beautiful soul and and then we have the royal family led by Charles led by Charles I mean it's it's truly led by the queen but Charles likes to think that he leads it and he does of course he does of course he does you know but that's where it is and that's the end of the episode yeah and then we're on to the next last two we have two we're more, almost AJ. at the penultimate and we have two yes. more and they're doozies yeah, they are. Yeah. Well, pop culture theologians, it's your main boy, John, and AJ signing off for another episode. We'll see you next time and stay healthy and wash your hands. That's right. Wear your masks. And Wear your masks. Keep and wash on your hands on. again. <laughs> and wash your hands again. Bye, everyone. Bye.